What is the military objective of banning medicine? How could clean water pose a security risk? Lack of clean water, fuel, medicines, food, and other essential aid over the last six weeks have caused Al-Shifa Hospital, once the largest, most advanced, and best equipped referral hospital in Gaza, to essentially stop functioning. Israeli soldiers stole the bodies of Palestinians, shot up multiple departments, sniped and killed a nurse. Whether they like it or not, people are interested in what Palestinians have to say about their own lived experience. And no amount of censorship deleting our accounts is going to eliminate the public's desire to hear from us, censoring some of the most essential Palestinian voices documenting this genocide. We're in a moment of genocide. That's the consensus of the scholars. 800 genocide scholars say it was genocide. On the other hand, massive disinformation campaign by the corporate media. Each time I lost access to my account, it was right before major atrocity in Gaza. Who do you think is making more money, Raytheon or Piers Morgan? Hello and welcome to episode 106 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines in with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of supporting the Palestinian struggle for decolonization, justice, and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Gazan Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram. And you can call me Mikey Intifada if you shot your own people from an Apache helicopter, according to Haaretz. Before we get into today's episode, please like, comment, and subscribe if you hang out with us on YouTube. And if you're listening on a podcast app, subscribe and leave a review. As always, you can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com and give us a follow on Instagram at the Palestine Pod. Find us also on Patreon, where you get early access to the Palestine Pod episodes and additional podcast per week. It's called the Patreon Pod. It's a little more laid back. We talk politics, Palestine, pop culture, and get a little more personal. We're also hosting our monthly Zoom happy hours with our Patreon subscribers only. So really exciting stuff. Check us out on patreon.com slash palestinepod. There's been so many stories coming out of Gaza in the last few days. They're all shocking. They're all horrifying. They're all worse than your worst nightmare. And they're all happening at the same time. I saw a tweet that talked about how on Al Jazeera, there was four split screens between four different massacres that were taking place at the same time. Most of this is getting very little to no media coverage in the corporate Western media, which adds to this notion that it's not happening because the world isn't being informed about it. So if only a select few outlets and a select few social media accounts are the ones amplifying the message, then the corporate media can, in a sense, succeed in erasing the massacre, erasing the evidence of the massacre, which is one of the phenomenon that we are now confronting on a daily basis. We are doing our best, Palestinians on the ground and in exile, are doing our best to amplify, to collate information, to, per, to, to provide that information to our followers about Israel's massacres day in and day out, about the number of people killed, about individual stories, about the people who have been injured, the people who have been forcibly displaced, showing you what is happening in their life, showing you their daily reality. But we are at once met with the actions of corporate media, which have been criminal and we have discussed in prior episodes, to distort and obfuscate and minimize and sow doubt and so on. And on the other hand, when it comes to social media, the platform that we use to do all of this work, we're being met with the heavy hand of censorship and shadow banning. In the last couple of days, we have seen massive crackdown 
by social media companies, Meta in particular on Instagram. We've also seen it on X through Elon Musk's declaration that he will no longer allow the word from the river to the sea to be tweeted out because he considers it to be genocidal. In the last few days, we've seen a massive crackdown on accounts. Taking, for example, the case of Instagram, we saw numerous accounts of Palestinians on the ground be deleted. We saw accounts like Within Our Lifetime, which is a diaspora account, be deleted. Not the first time it's been deleted either. And it was clearly in response to the wool-organized protest outside of Meta. It happened hours after that. Wool has since been restored through a media campaign, but the links to external accounts are being censored. So trying to set up a Telegram, trying to set up a Discord, on Instagram, Instagram will censor your effort to export users from their platform. I have a video of one of our followers trying to click our Telegram link on Instagram, and it just sends her to the next slide. It happened to us and to the wall Telegram link. So one of the other things we've seen is Palestinian accounts being told that their account may be deleted. So you it gets you, you you get a screen that pops up that says your account may be deleted. We've also yeah. seen it's actually a warning that says walk south. We've also seen a similar messaging. You get something that pops up on your phone that says that your account cannot be shown to to non-followers. So restricting your reach to only the people that follow you and not allowing your message to be disseminated wider than that. We've seen individual posts be removed, and we've also seen a number of accounts lose access to their account for an, a period of time, and then have to go through back channels to try to get their account back. Because when you lose access to your account in the moment, you are not even allowed a, a way to seek to get your account back through the application. So if you don't have a backdoor connection at Instagram, then you won't be able to ever get your account back because your account just is dead. You can't do anything. You're prevented from doing anything. You're blocked from doing anything. You can't see anything. You can't write messages. You can't make posts. You can't see your posts. You can't see your comments. Nothing works. And this was something that I personally experienced on four different occasions in the last 40 days. I have lost access to my Instagram account for a period of time, anywhere between 24 to 36 hours times four. And I noticed that each time I lost access to my account, it was right before Israel committed a major, major atrocity in Gaza. The first time I lost access to my account was hours before Israel committed the massacre at Al-Ahli Baptist Hospital. The second time I lost access to my account, it was just before Israel committed the mass atrocity in the Jabalia refugee camp where they dropped six one-ton bombs on the Jabalia refugee camp, killing hundreds. Now, they've bombed Jabalia refugee camp almost every day since, but there was a period of time where they bombed it so badly that it made a lot of news. Now, the subsequent bombings have not been reported on in, in the corporate media the way that that particular one was, but it was in that particular moment 
when my account couldn't access it. The last time I lost access to my account was right before the Israeli occupation ground forces entered and conquered Al-Shifa Hospital. I try to root myself in facts and evidence and, and you know, law and treaties and the United Nations and the world organizations like the World Health Organization and the UN World Food Program and, and Doctors Without Borders and Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International and trusted organizations. That's the world that I live in. But I do not understand. And nobody has been able to provide me with an explanation for why it is I lost access to my account in those moments. And all I could see on my screen was something that said challenge required. That's it. My Instagram was completely erased. And all I could see was a sign that said challenge required. Okay, but how do I get it back? The app is not providing me a way to get it back. I have a backdoor at Instagram who I contacted. And I said, I've lost access to my account. Please help me get it back. And every time he manages to undo whatever has been done, he tells me that the original losing access was a mistake. I don't understand how many mistakes Meta wants us to believe that they are committing against Palestinian content creators without it being a concerted campaign. And for me to say that it's a concerted campaign, it's not a conspiracy theory because in 2021, a Human Rights Watch investigation already confirmed that Meta disproportionately censored and shadow banned Palestinian creators when they were delivering information to their audiences that was critical, critical information about human rights violations in critical moments. They already concluded that Meta had done that. They already concluded that we were disproportionately targeted. And guess what? Meta did their own investigation and their own investigation revealed the same thing. So we have the benefit of two investigations, which have told us very clearly the Palestinian content creators were targeted. Now we find ourselves in 2023. In 2023, instead of correcting the censorship and the shadow banning and the unequal treatment of Palestinian content creators who are using social media because it is literally their only means of countering the false narrative that prevails in the corporate media. And it's their only means of showing the world images and photos of what's, you know, video of what's actually happening. You're not seeing these videos in corporate media. You just are not. You're not seeing every airstrike that Israel carries out. Who are the victims? Who is being targeted? You're not being told that it's families' houses that are being targeted. You're not being told that it's bakeries, that it's schools, that it's mosques, that it's places where people are sheltering, that it's the, the so-called escape routes, aka the ethnic cleansing routes. You're not being told any of that. But here we are showing it to you. So this is our only space. Instead of them taking this as an opportunity to realize we are in a moment of genocide. That's the consensus of the scholars. So we better actually provide our social media platform as a means to disseminate this critical information. Instead of doing that, they've doubled down. They've doubled down on censorship of Palestinian content, and they are censoring some of the most essential Palestinian voices that are documenting this genocide day in and day out, whether that be Palestinians on the ground or in diaspora. And you may say to me like, okay, but like you get your account back. Okay, but like it may be deleted, but then it's restored. But do you understand the effort and the time that goes into countering these unjust deletions and these uh, this unjust censorship? It is a significant amount of time and resources. And instead of reporting on what is actually happening in that moment, we spend our time challenging Meta's actions. And what that does is it then, as a collective, it, it, it basically lowers the impact of our voice. 
it, it diminishes, it turns our, the volume down on the, the Palestinian cry for we are being genocided in this moment. It turns the volume down. If I can delete this many accounts, if I can delete this many posts, if I can do this and then leave them in this you know complex web of trying to seek redress and maybe they know someone and maybe they don't and let's see how long it takes for them to get their account back, we just turn the volume down. And, we, and we, what we are doing is we are interfering with the public's ability to to obtain this essential information in critical moments, which they need, because they are, on the other hand, being served a massive disinformation campaign by the corporate media. Unfortunately, that's what we have seen, and we continue to see it. I've seen, honestly, today I logged in to Instagram, and I saw no less than four accounts in my feed that had all been threatened with deletion or told that their account was not being shown to non-followers. And it, I was just on Instagram for a few minutes, and I saw people posting, posting, posting. I got the same message. I just didn't post about it. There you go. Not everyone is posting about it, but like it is incredibly difficult. Everyone keeps saying, oh, we have to make our own social media. Okay, fine. Make it. Like I'm not going to like go ahead do it. It's not everyone has an idea, but like nobody's actually doing it. If you do it and you get everyone yeah. on board, I'm I'm in. But the problem is is like the people who suggest that are never coders. The point is not to go on a different platform where only people who know and care about the cause are are the point is to be on the platforms where the world is yeah. but to have equal treatment and the ability to actually use our voices in a way that's not obstructed by these companies like we want to be where the rest of the world is like if you just want to create a whatsapp group of, of people who all already know and agree and believe the same things that's not really helpful so i'm not like too keen on that idea I believe that the fight should be for social media companies to realize that we are their users, we deserve equal treatment, and we deserve to not have our content, especially when it is dealing with such grave matters like genocide, be censored, and that it is their job to deliver a space where the most marginalized voices can actually counter the mainstream narrative through using their voice. It is their job to provide an alternative, to provide a space where we can show the world what we are going through. They don't want to be involved with politics. Adam Masseri said that very clearly. At one point he was talking about threads and he was saying how like he really hoped that like threads would just not be political, like like Twitter was. It was like one of his first threads. He was saying like, yeah, we hope like people will just be on here talking about like music and fashion and fun. And I was like, okay, so like mindless, like... We really hope the goal of this website is to facilitate fascism. <laughs> he, he's like, we, we just want people to live in like mindless capitalists, like just blob. Like, I don't know. Like it, that's, he just, he made it very clear that he didn't want people to talk about politics. So he he said we we designed threads in mind with like the fact with the hopes of attracting influencers and in like fashion and music and and makeup and sports and all these things that are not controversial, don't require the slightest bit of a spine to speak about and just keep people distracted from the real issues that our world is dealing with. And DJ Khaled said sounds great. Yeah. So that's fine. I mean I guess if, I mean, you're the creator, you're the guy who owns it. So I guess whatever, but 
people are using it in a different way because that's what the moment commands because they don't have an alternative. And it's your job to realize what people actually want and to deliver that, not to force them to speak about issues that they're not interested in speaking about. There's a reason why Palestinian accounts on the ground and in and in exile have attracted a large number of followers since this genocide began. And it's because the public is rightfully concerned and interested in understanding what Palestinians are going through. They're being told one thing by corporate media, by governments, by institutions, and they're like, okay, well, let's go to Palestinians and see what what they have to say. And so that's, it's up to these social media companies to realize whether they like it or not, people are interested in what Palestinians have to say about their own lived experiences. And no amount of censorship or shadow banning or deleting our accounts is going to eliminate the public's desire to, to hear from us. I, I, what I'd like to do now is I want to just go through some of like the most atrocious headlines that we have seen coming out of Palestinian accounts on the ground in Gaza in the last few days to try to amplify the message of some of these atrocities that are getting almost no um, attention in, in the mainstream media and which are quickly forgotten because by the next day they're replaced with something new. So one of the things that we learned was that Israeli soldiers exhumed the mass grave at Al-Shifa Hospital. And they stole the bodies of Palestinians, Hundred, hundreds of Palestinians, maybe. I, I've seen numbers around like 85 to 150, not clear, but but it's confirmed that they exhumed and dug up the bodies of Palestinians and that they loaded them onto trucks and they took them. What they went to do with them, I have no idea. But this was confirmed by eyewitnesses on the ground. It was also confirmed by physicians who are still in Al-Shifa Hospital. Almost nobody's talking about it. One other thing that we saw was that the Israeli occupation forces ordered all of the doctors, nurses, patients, including ICU patients, the neonatal babies and children to evacuate Al-Shifa Hospital. They gave them an hour to do so. I have so many questions about this evacuation order of Al-Shifa Hospital after the Israeli ground forces shot up multiple departments, sniped and killed a nurse after they destroyed the interior of the hospital to the point where it could no longer function. And after they also came out and said, oh, well, as it turns out, um, Hamas headquarters isn't in Al-Shifa Hospital. And after they came out with a few propaganda videos showing the, the items that they found, which were debunked by BBC, which came out and said, it looks like this was a doctored video and it looks like none of these things were actually found, but they were planted. Looks like that is a calendar. <laughs> and it also looks like that's a calendar. So whatever you know, the result was of their invasion of Al-Shifa didn't really turn out how they thought it would. They thought that the international community would take it more seriously that they found a calendar or that they would believe that they had found a bunch of metal objects in an MRI room. A bunch of radiologists weighed in on that and they're like, no, you can't have guns anywhere near an MRI machine. It would go off. So we know that the whole narrative about about Al-Shifa Hospital turned out to be a lie. And it was confirmed by BBC. It was confirmed by the sheer joke of propaganda videos that were released by the Israeli occupation. The fact that they would Wait. post videos, delete them, repost them in after they were edited again because they realized that they did, you know, they posted a video of like a, a Zionist soldier's computer. Who do you think is making more money off of this, Raytheon or Piers Morgan? Re regarding the bodies as well, 
there is a long-standing tradition of the occupation snatching bodies, Palestinian bodies, after they have been murdered and then holding on to them in a freezer or in what's known as the Cemetery of Numbers. There are numerous articles that corroborate this. I've posted them on my Instagram. Here are some of the headlines. Why does Israel keep the bodies of Palestinians? A recent report has found that Israel is keeping hundreds of bodies in its infamous Cemetery of Numbers. These bodies from as far back as 1967 to use as leverage for political negotiations with Palestinians. They've also reported, Channel 2 News has reported that in the 1990s, specialists at Abu Kabir harvested skin, corneas, heart valves, and bones from the bodies of Israeli soldiers, citizens, and Palestinians and foreign workers, often without permission from relatives. Israel's macabre policy of keeping dead Palestinian bodies from their families. Imprisonment continues even after death. The policy of post-mortem detention leaves grieving families without closure. The detention of Palestinians after their deaths is a decades-old practice. It's also known as necroviolence, a practice of humiliating, desecrating, and withholding bodies of dead Palestinians from their families. The Palestinian body is heavily fully criminalized and treated just as violently dead as they were alive, and in the process, therefore, become sites for Israeli militaristic and colonial practices. That portion was written by Pod alum Heba Jamal. Israeli court refuses to release the body of Palestinian Ahmad Arakat. Arakat's body has been held since mid-2020 when he was shot dead at a checkpoint on his sister's wedding day. So I would like to read the statement posted on Twitter by the World Health Organization who was present in Al-Shifa Hospital after the Israeli ground forces ordered everyone to evacuate. Again, evacuate. Why? We don't know. They told us it's not a Hamas headquarters. So why are they ordering everyone's evacuation when they're still sheltering families and over 30 NICU babies and people being treated from airstrike injuries? It's not clear. Nobody's answered this question. But here's what they said. November 18th, 2023. Earlier today, a joint UN humanitarian assessment team led by the World Health Organization accessed Al-Shifa Hospital in northern Gaza to assess the situation on the ground and conduct a rapid situational analysis, assess medical priorities, and establish logistics for further missions. The team included public health experts, logistics officers, and security staff from OCHA, UNDSS, UNMAS, UNOPS, UNRWA, and WHO. The mission was de-conflicted with Israel to ensure safe passage along the agreed route. However, this was a high-risk operation in an active conflict zone with heavy fighting ongoing in close proximity to the hospital. Earlier in the day, Israel issued an evacuation order to the remaining 2,500 internally displaced people who had been seeking refuge on the hospital grounds. They, along with a number of mobile patients and hospital staff, had already vacated the facility by the time of the team's arrival. Due to time limits associated with the security situation, the team was able to spend only one hour 
inside the hospital, which they described as a quote unquote death zone and the situation as quote desperate signs of shelling and gunfire were evident. The team saw a mass grave at the entrance of the hospital and were told more than 80 people were buried there. Lack of clean water, fuel, medicines, food, and other essential aid over the last six weeks have caused Al Shifa hospital once the largest, most advanced and best equipped referral hospital in Gaza to essentially stop functioning as a medical facility. The team observed that due to the security situation, it has been impossible for the staff to carry out effective waste management in the hospital. Corridors and the hospital grounds were filled with medical and solid waste, increasing the risk of infection. Patients and health staff with whom they spoke were terrified for their safety and health and pleaded for evacuation. Al Shifa Hospital can no longer admit patients with the injured and sick now being directed to the seriously overwhelmed and barely functioning Indonesian hospital. There are 25 health workers and 291 patients remaining in Al Shifa, with several patient deaths having occurred over the previous two to three days due to the shutting down of medical services. Patients include 32 babies in extremely critical condition, two people in intensive care without ventilation, and 22 dialysis patients whose access to life saving treatment has been severely compromised. The vast majority of patients are victims of war trauma, including many complex fractures and amputations, head injuries, burns, chest and abdominal trauma, and 29 patients with serious spinal injuries who are unable to move without medical assistance. Many trauma patients have severely infected wounds due to lack of infection control measures in the hospital and the unavailability of antibiotics. Given the current state of the hospital, which is no longer operational or admitting new patients, the team was requested to evacuate health workers and patients to other facilities. WHO and partners are urgently developing plans for the immediate evacuation of the remaining patients and staff and their families over the next 24 to 72 hours, pending guarantees of safe passage. Additional missions are being arranged to urgently transport patients from El Shifa to El Nasser Medical Complex and European Gaza Hospital in the south of Gaza. However, these hospitals are already working beyond capacity and new referrals from El Shifa will further strain overburdened health staff and resources. WHO is deeply concerned about the safety and health needs of patients, health workers, and internally displaced people sheltering in the few remaining partially functional hospitals in the north, which are facing risk of closure due to the lack of fuel, water, medical supplies, food, and intense hostilities. Immediate efforts must be made to restore the functionality of Al-Shifa and all other hospitals to provide urgently needed health services in Gaza. WHO reiterates its plea for collective efforts to bring an end to the hostilities and humanitarian catastrophe in Gaza, we call for an immediate ceasefire. The sustained flow of humanitarian assistance at scale, unhindered humanitarian access to all those in need, the unconditional release of hostages, the cessation of attacks on healthcare and other vital infrastructure, the extreme suffering of the people of Gaza demands that we respond immediately and concretely with humanity and compassion. Two points. I was listening to an interview with Dr. Ghassan Abu Sitta, who was one of the main trauma surgeons who was providing care for Palestinian families who have been victim of airstrikes in Al Shifa Hospital and in Al Ahli Baptist Hospital for the last 40 some days of genocide. He has now left Gaza. He's no longer there. He was pushed out, forced to leave. And he did an interview with Al Jazeera that he posted onto his Instagram page out of Amman, Jordan, probably yesterday on November 18th. He said that not a single bit of aid 
reached Al Shifa Hospital in the time that he was there for the 40 some days of genocide. Supplies, anything that was needed for the hospital to continue functioning as a hospital treating victims of Israeli airstrikes was ever received in Al Shifa Hospital. He said that the the just trickle of aid that has been provided since the beginning of this genocide because as we know, Israel announced a total siege. That bare trickle that has been allowed to enter has only been allowed to trickle into the south. None of it has reached the north and none of it has reached Al-Shifa Hospital. So what that means is that Israel was intentionally depriving airstrike victims who have suffered the most insane trauma, head injuries, spinal injuries, amputations, not only from antibiotics, not only from pain medication, not only from anesthesia, not only from all of the supplies that you need to keep a completely clean and, and sterile environment in a hospital, but that this whole notion that we have been fed about, oh, some trucks entered Gaza, some trucks entered Gaza today, oh, let's celebrate that 20 trucks entered Gaza, it's all a farce. It's all a lie. What has entered Gaza has not even been a fingernail's worth of what is needed to sustain the population in normal conditions of life, much less when they are experiencing hundreds of airstrikes a day and the sheer amount of trauma and treatment that is needed to treat all of that. It's been so grossly insufficient that Right now, the concern is not even on the people who have been killed. The concern right now is on the tens of thousands of people who have been injured and who will die from their injuries because there is no way to treat them. There is no medicine. There is no way to to uh, treat the infection. There is no way to treat the fact that you have worms now growing out of your wound. Um, I've seen those videos. I've seen those videos of hundreds of worms in an open wound in a man's foot. I've seen them. And there's no way to treat any of that because Israel is banning medical supplies. Israel is banning antibiotics. Israel is banning medicine needed to treat infection. So what is, I ask, the military objective of banning medicine, medicine like antibiotics? Please explain to me how your enemy is going to use antibiotics to carry out an attack on you. Explain it. I would like to understand the logic behind banning medicine needed to treat infection. I, I really want to understand this logic. There is no military aim or logic or, or benefit to be gained from acts like this. These acts have one purpose only, and that is to torture civilians. That's it. There is no other purpose of banning medicine needed to treat infection, of banning anesthesia, of banning medical supplies. There is no military objective. The only objective is to punish all Palestinian society by making them suffer in the cruelest ways possible. I read that the director of Al-Shifa Hospital sounded the alarm that people were crying and screaming from thirst. The minimal amount of aid trucks that do get in could be subject to airstrikes. They bombed truck that had water in it. They're like Hamas is in the water bottles. Hey, maybe it's the Hamas we made along the way. You ever think about that? On November 16th, the UN World Food Program published an urgent call saying that civilians in Gaza are, quote, facing the immediate 
remote possibility of starvation. Again, please explain to me what is the military objective of banning clean water? How could access to clean water pose a security risk for Israel? Explain it. I would like to understand. There is no purpose to all of these acts. And by the way, when we speak about genocide under international law, we have to be very clear that genocide as a legal definition under the Rome Statute, under the Genocide Convention, does not even require that you kill one person through an airstrike or through some sort of aerial bombardment. Actually, no. An actor can be prosecuted for genocide only if they deliberately inflict on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about their physical destruction in whole or in part. So when, when we speak about conditions of life, we are talking about depriving the group of the basic necessities needed to sustain life, things like food and water. You ban all clean water, you are committing genocide. They don't even need to carry out airstrikes in order to be found right. guilty of, of genocide. But if you actually want to look at the, the, the legal definition of genocide, Israel is very clearly committing three out of five of the five genocidal acts that are codified in international treaties as genocidal acts. Those acts being killing members of the group, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, and then the third one being the deliberate infliction on the group of conditions of life calculated to bring about their physical destruction in whole or in part. Those three are very clearly established. I've seen tweets of people who are like, I don't know if we should call it genocide, uh, the fact that they have wiped off 800 families from the registry, but definitely from the river to the sea, that's a call for genocide. We have reached peak level fascism. It's not even sufficient to call it genocide. We're going to have to get a new term, right? It's got to be like mega genocide. And I mean, look, I think you're you're signaling something here, which I have seen a lot of. Like we saw Pierce Morgan come out and say, no, look, he didn't think it was genocide, but he, like he definitely thought Russia committed genocide against Ukraine, even though the number, just the, in terms of the sheer number of destruction and casualties, it doesn't even come close. Gaza far exceeds anything that was done by Russia and Ukraine in terms of the time span and in, in, in terms of the just the sheer amount of death and destruction. But this is worse than that. Yeah, go ahead. Pierce Morgan, that human marshmallow went as far as to say that what Hamas did was genocide, but what Israel is doing is not genocide. That's yeah. what he said. That's a clip that went viral from him and Owen Jones, I believe. Yes. So this highlights something that is, I think, really essential. Genocide is not an opinion. It's not whatever Pierce Morgan decides is his definition of genocide based on whatever standard he has set for himself. And I don't even know what faulty logic he used to reach that conclusion. We have to be very clear that there is only one definition of genocide which matters, and that is the legal definition of genocide, which is codified in the Rome Statute and the Genocide Convention. There is no other definition of genocide. That is the definition. Any like pundit or commentator or so-called journalist who wants to have this debate about whether it is genocide needs 
needs to understand that their opinion is completely worthless because it is contradicted by the wide consensus of scholars of genocide, of state crime scholars, of individuals in the United Nations like Craig Mohaber, and of actual legal action which is being taken in this moment. There's been over three petitions filed before the International Criminal Court urging the court to investigate genocide. And there's been another petition filed in a U.S. district court by the Center for Constitutional Rights against the Biden administration, saying that the Biden administration has violated its own obligations under the Genocide Convention, it, namely its duty to prevent genocide. I would say for a lot of people, the metric for genocide just seems to be vibes. No, I feel like the the popular consensus is like it's not it's not genocide unless you kill everybody, and I feel like that's just that's just not true. Like it's just not leave it to the scholars of genocide, leave it to the international law scholars who like understand that this is a legal term. I saw another interview with this Zionist scholar, quote unquote, Daniel Pipes, with uh, Pad alum uh, Jamal Ishayel, uh, and he asked him a question referring to Israel's commission of genocide. And Daniel Pipes refused to even answer the question by saying, well, I can't answer the question because you've asked it in a loaded, by using this loaded term genocide. So can I please ask that you don't use it? And Jamal was like, well, no, I'm going to use it because that's what's happening. And here's the definition. And he's like, well, can you not use it? I mean, I can't possibly, you can't possibly use it. He's like, well, why shouldn't I use it? And he refused to answer the question. This is what I'm talking about. It's, this is something for which there is an actual definition and people who have studied the law and are qualified to make an assessment by applying the facts to the law and seeing whether or not the definition is met have already done that and assessed that it has been met and exceeded in this moment. It's not on lay people or people who are trying to spread propaganda to say, oh, well, I don't think it's genocide. It's not up to you. It's really not up to you. 800 genocide scholars already signed a letter on October 17th saying that it was genocide. It's really not up to you to decide that. Yeah, but did they consider the fact that Israel can't be accused of genocide? Did they ever think about that? I don't know, man. Um, I also wanted to share that um, my cousin's husband just shared that 37 members of his immediate family were killed in Gaza by an Israeli airstrike on November 18th. And I saw my cousin and her husband in June when we had our family reunion where 80 of us got together in exile. You know, it's just heartbreaking. It, the, just the scope of loss is just heartbreaking. It's, it's hard enough to lose like a person. You know, when you lose somebody that's like close to you, it's hard enough to, to grieve one person. But like, how do you grieve 37 people? I can't even imagine what he's going through. This isn't the first time, actually. They they lost people in their extended family already as a result of Israeli airstrikes uh, a few weeks ago. I'm so sorry for their loss, Allah Yeramo. In case anyone missed it from your Mikey Antifada, Israeli investigation published in Israeli newspaper Haaretz found that festival goers were killed by Israeli military helicopters. That is an Israeli newspaper investigation. Too bad that it was published 40 some days after the genocide began and the damage has already been done. But I do think it's important in order for us to correct the record that we put it out here and insist on the fact that the Israeli military killed Israelis on October 7th. Also is a separate story from the story of the reduction of the numbers of Israelis killed from 1400 to 1200, which we learned was the result of the fact that the bodies were so burned that they were mistakenly identified as Israelis 
and then were found to be Hamas fighters. And so then they reduced the number from 1,400 to 1,200. Somebody looked into that list and found that half of those people who were initially reported as, as civilians were actually IOF. So when Mark Regev went on okay. the Mahdi Hassan show and explained that Israel could be believed about its reporting on the incident because it in good faith reduce the number from 1,400 to 1,200, one of the things that came out of that, which neither he nor Mehdi realized in the moment, was that he admitted that those Hamas fighters were killed by someone else, and that if they were burned badly, and so were the Israelis, who was this third party that had killed both of them? and had yeah. burned both of their bodies. And since the beginning of this, we had been we had been seeing reports asking this question of like how could it have been done by Hamas when they were lightly armed? How could they have carried out that type of harm on people? To burn badly would require the use of, of of serious weapons. If you're lightly armed with whatever you can carry, then you probably won't have the type of weaponry that is needed to carry out that type of an attack. What we realized through that confession, that admission, is that, again, Israelis were killed by the Israeli army also in that incident. And that corroborates what the eyewitnesses of Kibbutz Berry even said, which we had in the very beginning of this genocide, where eyewitnesses said that, no, in fact, it was attacks by the Israeli army against the kibbutz that led to the devastation that we saw. Well, I posted a video a while ago once the Apache helicopter video came out and based on reports that were surfacing as early as like October 9th. But Haaretz just confirmed that the IOF helicopter, the Apache helicopter, killed civilians at the music festival. From the article, assessment in the security establishment, Hamas did not know in advance about the Nova festival and recognized it from the air. The police investigation found that Hamas planned to reach the kibbutzim. Hamas found out about the party in real time. It also shows that the military helicopter, this is from the article, fired at terrorists, apparently also hit some revelers. There is a growing assessment in the security establishment that the terrorists who carried out the massacre on October 7th did not know in advance about the Nova festival held near Kibbutz Raim and decided to come to the place after discovering that mass event was taking place. The security system's assessment relies, among other things, on the investigations of the terrorists and the investigation of the incident by the police, from which it appears that the terrorists intended to reach Kibbutz Raim and nearby Kibbutzim. According to police source, an investigation into the incident also revealed that an IDF combat helicopter that arrived at the scene from the Ramat David base fired at the terrorists and apparently also hit some of the revelers who were there. Air Force pilot admits Quote, we failed to defend. We feel very bad. Another problem, due to years of neglect, the men on the ground, with the exception of special units, did not know how to direct fire from the air. It's also very difficult for helicopter pilots who fly low to understand whether what they see on the ground is an enemy or the IDF. The Apache pilots testify that they fired huge amounts of munitions, emptied the belly of the helicopter in minutes, 
flew to rearm and return to the air again and again. Boots Berry resident confirmed the IOF shelled and killed residents. According to him, Tuval, only on Monday night and only after the commanders in the field made difficult decisions, including shelling houses with all of their occupants inside in order to eliminate the terrorists along with the hostages, did the Israeli army complete the takeover of the kibbutz. The price was terrible. At least 112 people were killed. There was an article from the Electronic Intifada on the 11th of November, Shoot at Everything, How Israeli Pilots Killed Their Own Civilians. There's also the startling case of one Lieutenant Colonel A, the commander of Squadron 190, who around mid-morning of 7th October instructed the fighters in the air to shoot at everything they see in the area of the fence and at a certain point also attacked an Israeli army station with trapped soldiers in order to help the fighters of the Navy Commando Unit 13 attack it and liberate it. They're liberating their own people through airstrikes, liberating them from serving the occupation. There was a video that came out of Ruth Weiss, who is a Harvard professor and Canadian academic, who spoke plainly about how it is the job of American Jews which she says with the utmost disdain, to do propaganda for the Israeli military and occupation. They have to serve in the occupation army, and they'll fight the physical battle, as she described it, but that it is the job of American Jews to provide cover and fight the intelligence battle online. And that is what you know as Hasbara. Folks who gave me my nickname and the folks who get paid Almost nothing I've found out to sell their soul. A massacre at the UN Al-Fakhura School in Jabalia refugee camp and another massacre at the Tal al-Zatar School in northern Gaza. And this came a day after the Israeli occupation bombed the Unrwa Al-Fallah School where an estimated 130 Palestinians were killed. As usual, the targets are sheltering sleeping families. And I had this reflection where I remembered... When Israel began bombing UN schools, like in 2008, it was like a really big deal. You know, you had like all of these panels in the UN and they would convene and they would talk about Israel's bombing of UN schools. They would say how unacceptable it was. And you had the Goldstone Report and you had all these, you know, inquiries and commissions and, 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 and discussions and and now they just do it and then they do it the next day and they do it the next day and there's no response, no response. The most that we got was a tweet from Antonio Guterres, a tweet that said that I'm deeply shocked that two UNRWA schools were struck in less than 24 hours in Gaza. Struck by whom? Do you mean bombed? Like struck by lightning? Like struck? What is, why struck? Zeus and the Thunderbolt which they have in common with the Nazis. Israel has desensitized us to the point where it is normal, you know, part of the ordinary course of action to bomb UN schools where families are sheltering. And they do it, and then they do it again the next day. 
And again, no corporate media is talking about this. The only people that are talking about this are Palestinians on the ground or in diaspora who are publishing about it on social media. I haven't seen corporate media address either of these three massacres that have happened in the last couple of days. The UN is just, you know, happy to send out its tweet that they're shocked. But are they really shocked? How can you be shocked if Israel's been doing this since 2008 and they've never been held accountable for it? When will you stop being shocked by the same crime that's being committed with impunity for years? The UN is deeply failing in this moment, and people need to realize how unprecedented the moment is. Israel has killed more UN employees in the last 40 days in Gaza than any state in the history of the United Nations. They are breaking records all the time. But what do you do with a state that's killed more UN employees than any other state has ever killed UN employees? Is it not time to act instead of issuing meaningless statements, which will do nothing to thwart Israel? Is it not time to impose sanctions? Is it not time to disarm Israel? Is it not time to prosecute Israeli leaders for genocide and apartheid? If now is not the time, when is the time? UN officials were shocked about being struck by airstrikes, and Meta and Instagram were shocked to find out that they deleted our accounts. Folks... That has been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Check out our full episodes and sources at www.palestinepod.com. Follow us on Instagram at the Palestine Pod. Send us an email at palestinepod at gmail.com. And look for us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Palestine Pod. That has been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Have as good a day as you can. Oh, yeah. I'm going to email him and tell him that we still have our first four episodes missing. I heard it was our first five, actually. Somebody said that the fifth one is missing now. No way. They're just like slowly eating our episodes. <laughs> They're like slowly deleting all of them. Well, that actually brings us to censorship. The fifth one is gone now, too. Wow. Is there something that like makes your episodes expire? Like, Nope. No, there is not. Gone on Apple. Yeah, it's gone on Spotify too. So I'm going to message him. I'm going to hopefully try to get him to help us get them back. The good news is, is that they're not deleted because they're on Podbean. They're on Podbean and they're on YouTube. That's how I know it's not an issue with us or yeah. our RSS or anything that so people have tried. We didn't Dude, lose what's crazy? Them. No, no, we didn't lose them. And I still have them on hard drives because I understand how censorship works. But it's like... People, even good intentioned people who were trying to help with us, like help with this situation at first, their first response was to like gaslight and be like, well, are you sure it's not a problem with the RSS feed? And it's like, no, I'm 100% positive because you could still listen to it on Podbean and you can see the video on YouTube, yeah. which means it was censored in a coordinated effort by streaming platforms, including yeah. Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. It's also on sort of like ancillary podcast websites that have our RSS feed, right? Like smaller podcast yeah. redistributors. It's on all of those. Right. It's not it's, it's only major ones. Yeah. Right. Right. No, we're going to get them back. Um that's on my to-do list. So we will, we will do that. Wow, so. dude. They steal land and podcasts. <laughs>